Welcome to episode five, Chronicles of UK Salafism and Insider Perspective. This particular episode will look at the year 1994 and events that transpired throughout that period. And I'll start with the 11th of January 1994, when I was elected as chairman of the Brixton Mosque and Islamic Cultural Centre. I will quote from the research document that I referred to in the previous episode that was prepared by Salafi Manhaj and members of the Brixton Mosque um, that highlights and articulates the procedures that took place and um, events that took place at that specific time. So I will quote from page 49 at this stage, quote, in December 1993, when Abu Sufyan was removed, for a couple of months, some members of his team, the former Shura, were dissatisfied with what transpired. The Committee of Elders and Arbitrators chose Abdul Haq Baker, and he initially did not want the position as the other Salafis were not involved. The arbitrators responded by saying that the community did want Salafia because of its clarity, but they did not like Abu Sufyan's approach. The arbitrators emphasized that if Abdul Haq Baker did not accept the position, there would be more than likely a serious confrontation and possible violence as emotions were running high and there were people waiting in the masjid for a decision. Abdul Haq's contention, Abdul Haq Baker's contention, was that the arbitrators had selected three individuals who were not Salafi at the time. Abdul Haq Baker was therefore put in a very difficult position which he had to wrestle with and also look at the bigger picture for the community based on what he held to be best at the time. Eventually, the elders became more receptive and had put aside much of their former allegiances with Abdul Malik Trinidadi, Faisal and others, and many others returned to the masjid when progress was being made with the community. Close quote. I recall that um, occasion very well because I was called to attend the mosque having distanced myself from Abu Sufyan's uh, shura. Um, as I've mentioned, I was not very happy and did not subscribe to the manner in which they were dealing with the community. Now, when I attended, the arbitrators called me into a private room, which was the uh, sister's um, area. They were, it was made vacant for that particular purpose and told me that the non-Salafi um, contingent of the community had um, voiced their preference for me to become the chairman, Amir, as they quoted uh, or cited in those days. I declined this and was surprised because my um, contention was that they were ousting a Salafi leadership and Shura, despite the fact I disagreed with their approach, and they were electing a Salafi who had the same beliefs and methodology as those who were um, outgoing. And they mentioned, as was stated in that document, they preferred someone from within the community who had an altogether different approach to Abu Sufyan. So that took place at that time. The arbitrators were actually agreed on by both parties um, and from the Salafi contingent and from the non-Salafi contingent. And so their um, final decision was accepted. Now, as I developed and grew into the position, I continued with my other activities, my activism um, at that time. And so on the 28th of January, I see from a cassette that I, I have in my possession, I delivered a study circle in Croydon entitled Taking Account of Oneself. 
On the 3rd of April, 94, I have my notes here that I delivered a lecture entitled Paradise or Hellfire, The Choice is Yours in Middlesbrough. And on the 23rd of that same month, I delivered a lecture called The People of Misery based on our Risala at Tabukiya of Ibn Kayyima al Jawziya. And that was a study circle. Now, another significant um, event for me at that particular point was a visit to my home from Abdullah Faisal. Abdullah Faisal, as you know, um, was uh, espousing takfiri views by this time, by 94. However, to put that in context and his visit to my home in context, it wasn't a threatening visit at all because we had established a relationship Prior to this, we worked in Islamia schools, Yusuf Islam's flagship school together, um, where I was head of personnel and legal work for Yusuf Islam. Faisal was um, an imam and teaching religious studies. So we knew each other from this particular perspective. But preceding that, in 93, for a period when the Morabitun leadership, sorry, 92, leading up to 93, the Morabitun leadership had banned um, lessons for us as Salafis from Brixton Mosque. And they were moved to Surat Abdul Malik's home. And Faisal, who professed the Salafism at the time, was teaching us in, in Surat's home. However, those study circles came to a rapid um, conclusion when Faisal started petitioning us to violently overthrow the Morabitun leadership um, in the mosque. And that would be, as I said, um, early um, 93 um, that led to Black Sunday, I would dare say. We disagreed with this perspective. We even spoke to one of the scholars that he told us to contact, Sheikh Jibrin at the time in Saudi Arabia, who totally rejected this approach and said no student of his had that, that sort of approach. Um, Faisal then stated he would seek assistance from another congregation that he was teaching and having study circles with in North London. At that point is when there was a parting between us and Faisal. Um, the study circles in Surat Abdul Malik's house um, ceased and that was the last time we would be having any sort of engagement with Faisal in, in uh, let's say, in an environment like that. So fast forward into the 21st of April, 94. Faisal coming to my home was to deliver a gift. It was a book um, by the author Taha Jabir al-Awani, um, published by IIIT, and it was called The Ethics of Disagreement in Islam. The Ethics of Disagreement in Islam. And in that book, which I still have and I'm reading from, I'll quote what Faisal had written in his um, handwriting, presented to the Emir of Brixton Muslim Community, Abdul Haq Baker, on the 21st of April 1994 by Brother Faisal. So this was the context in which he visited me and he requested that he be permitted to teach in the mosque again. And I refused this um, on the premise of his beliefs that were now clear, the Kharaji, Takfiri, violent extremist beliefs. Unless he recanted all of these and returned to what we believe was the original position he was on of Salafism, he agreed. At my doorstep, he agreed to do this. However, when he turned up at the mosque, it was on a Thursday, um, and we were waiting for him to get on the, the pulpit to begin with this um, rec recantation. He didn't do it at all. He just resumed his extreme beliefs, 
So we ended that session immediately. The mic was taken off and he was expelled for, from the mosque. And that was going to be the case um, from that point up until this present day now. So that was that was a significant event for me uh, and a surprise, should I say, that he visited me with this book on the 23rd of April. Continuing with my activism, as I grew into the position, position of chairman and as the community started focusing um, on a program of, of learning, a program of engagement with the wider Muslim community and the wider non-Muslim um, community as well. Um, I see that on the 17th of May, my um, notes here from South Bank University, I did a talk entitled, Will You Rest in Peace? On the 19th of May, I was in Luton and delivered a lecture entitled What It Means to Be a Muslim. And I'll quote some excerpts from some of these, but this particular one in Luton, I, I wrote as an introduction. Uh, Many people today are judging Islam by the behavior of Muslims, which is far removed from the previous and better generations. My obvious reference to the pious predecessors, uh, the pious predecessors, Salaf Saleh, in that instance. On the 11th of August, I delivered a lecture entitled Imitation of the Non-Muslims, the Arabic word kufar, um, based on Sheikh Nasser al-Aqal's book. And quoting here, I stated, many of us today feel inferior as Muslims and really have a longing for the glitter and ways of the non-Muslims. In that lecture, I also looked at imitation in belief, in worship, in behavior, conduct and morals to highlight the inferiority complex and weakness of Muslims at that particular time. Um, On the 28th of September, I was in Croydon delivering a study circle on the rights of women in Islam. And I want to quote from that as well, due to what is um, conflated with Islam from culture, the cultural aspects that have seeped in from the Arab world, from the South Asian world, from aspects of the African um, world. And I, I talk no no other than on, on a point of um, contention and disagreement and rejection from many Muslims, rightly so, FGM, that we see taking place in some quarters of the, the Muslim communities. Also, the arranged, the arranged but forced marriage um, of of young ladies, young women from the South Asian communities. I also talk and refer to none other than the the honour killings that have been taking place across some of the communities. And these conflations with Islam and the patriarchy and misogyny that have been implemented culturally under the, the banner and guise of Islam was so significant to us as converts that we had to address it and were beginning to address it. However, that doesn't mean that we didn't fall into some of the the same mistakes that we were witnessing with regards to the role of the man and the woman because of the nature of teachings that we were were receiving. However, as converts coming from a non-Muslim background, um, we were able to look head on at what was being presented as Islam and what was really in actuality culture. So I'll quote from my um, particular talk, study circle on this occasion. The woman's environment and atmosphere must be conducive for her to suitably worship Allah. It should not be the man's intention to marry and thereafter enslave his wife. 
not spending any time with her, speaking harshly and generally using her. The woman is not, and I underlined, not a, com a commodity, as in the case in, of the West today with women. The fact that the woman maintains her surname in Islam is confirmation and indicative of the fact that she is not a chattel, not a commodity. Um, close quote. These are some of my um, introductory notes to that particular talk on the 28th of September. Continuing with my activism and program throughout that year, on the 19th of October, I was in the University of Bradford delivering a lecture entitled The Key to Paradise. On the 26th of November, I was in Birmingham, um, Smallheath, and I delivered a lecture entitled Innovation, Good or Bad, Bidda, Good or Bad. And I want to pause at this particular point because some of the attendees of that particular lecture were, are now members of a very divisive um, cult that um, I've referred to and alluded to in the previous episodes. And those individuals that were attending, um, they attended at a time when there was more unity and solidarity among us as Salafis. But there was a distinct absence of individuals who have really fueled this cultism and division and uh, dissension amongst the Salafi communities and beyond. Um, for example, Abu Khadija, uh, Abdul Wahid Alam, was not present up until this point in the Islamic, uh, sorry, Salafi um, scene, should we say. He was not present. He was not even Salafi. And if you were to ask those of his associates who are with him now, but were present in this lecture and present during the early 90s, if they are truthful, they would confirm this observation that I'm um, expounding upon now, that Abu Khadija was not around during this particular period, neither was Hassan Samali, neither were a few others of them, that with the exception of Abu Hakim Bilal Davis, Yusuf Bowers, they were present. So if these two individuals were to be asked about the presence and involvement of Abu Khadija, um, and some of these ind individuals I've just mentioned, they would attest, if they are truthful, that these individuals were not to appear on the scene for another few years. But I digress. On the 14th of December, I delivered another lecture in Birmingham um, on the subject of Christmas. And then the one final lecture that I would refer to that I have written on the cassettes in front of me, 1994, but I don't have the day or the month, was a study circle in Croydon again, um, entitled The Traps of Iblis. So my evidence before me now shows that 11 talks, study circles were delivered by me during 1994. I will refer now to personal study and I will go chronologically, um, chronologically through these as well. And on the 19th of February, 94, I see my notes here on the characteristics of Ahl-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, which were based on recorded lectures of Ali Tamimi. And I want to quote an aspect that we covered on jihad and the false concepts of jihad, to juxtapose this with what was taking place at the time with some of the extremist protagonists, Abdul al-Faisal I've already mentioned, um, Abu Hamza al-Misri is another individual I mentioned, Omar Bakri when he was with Hesbut uh, Tahrir, soon to emerge into al-Muhajirun, and then Abu Qatada when he landed mid-90s and the teachings that he was espousing then. So quoting from my notes um, on the 19th of February, um, 
around 1965, um, we see that false concepts of jihad appeared again. Quote, takfir of rulers, scholars and nations in the Arab world on 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 unprecedented levels were being done. The arguments used were basically that where Sharia was no longer predominant and much disobedience to Allah prevalent, the rulers and the populations must have apostated. The conclusion was such that according to this false belief, jihad had to be waged against the, these rulers and their populations. Close quote. Then on the 29th of March, the lesson looked at Aqidah, its linguistic definition, general meaning, religious meaning, the terms synonymous with it, um, that was for that particular lesson. And on the 19th of April, the lessons continued from the 3rd, 10th, 17th and 31st of May, the lessons on Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah continued. And I see that my next lesson on, on that referred to Aqidah, its principles and its derivations um, on the 19th of July, 94. There was a lesson before that, sorry, two lessons, one that's related on the 7th of June, but then there was another lesson before the 19th of July on uh, Sha'rul Aqidah Wasatiya of Ibn Taymiyyah, again from Ali Tamimi's um, uh, tapes. And I see, and I've counted, I had 30 pages of handwritten notes on that occasion for that um, Aqidah Wasatiya um, notes, and also an eight-page handout from Jimas. Now, moving towards a conclusive stage of this particular episode. I want to refer to another momentous event that happened within the Brixton community as it was settling, as it was progressing and growing um, and united under um, the new leadership. Um, Ikra Independent School was established in September 94 by four um, sisters, um, women of our community very progressive, academic, intelligent, Salafi um, women, um, and was supported by the management of the mosque in that instance then. Ikra Independent School now continues to flourish. The motto that was established by these women, these founders, was training in this life and the hereafter, or training for this life and the hereafter. It's now um, part of an academy. The school has grown and it continues to receive um, outstanding um, awards from Ofsted. Looking at the global climate now and events that were occurring in 1994, in April, the 6th of April, the Rwandan genocide began with the assassination of the president. On the 22nd of April, 7,000 Tutsis were slaughtered in a stadium by the Hutus. On the 10th of May, Nelson Mandela was sworn in as South Africa's first black president. And I'm referring to these events in Africa for for a reason. And that was that due to our idealism and the second stage of the convert's cognitive development um, framework, that being the youthful, formative, idealistic stage, we as growing Salafis did not pay much heed or attention to these huge events that were taking place in Africa. And instead, our focus, or the focus of those who we were learning from, was more towards 
um, I would say, uh, what we thought was Islamic in its entire entirety had smatterings of cultural aspects to it. So, for example, there was always the focus on what was happening in Kashmir and in Afghanistan, um, this Muslim focus. And I would um, argue at this particular juncture that when atrocities are being take, are taking place as Muslims, it, it, it's, it's irrespective of whether the victims are Muslim or non-Muslim, there should be a concern. This is what the Muslim uh, Ummah, this is what Muslims are about with regards to their charity, with regards to their aid, with regards to their support. But we saw an absence of focus on anything to do with black issues, African issues, African-Caribbean issues, African-American issues. There was a lack of focus completely. And in some instances, that caused consternation amongst the wider um, black Muslim community that we were interfacing and interacting with. Some who accused us of becoming Arabized due to the dress that we were wearing, the, the folds and the way we were wearing the scarves, which we interpreted as Sunnah. But we, in some instances, there has to be a concession that it was an aspect of Arabization. Other individuals and sisters moved towards wearing shawar kameez, the more South Asian dress um, that, that's predominant amongst the Pakistanis. Others started um, dressing in similar attire to the Somali community and um, some, some um, particular um, cultural uh, emphasis from other communities. And that oversight on the black communities and black issues was something that was going to come back to us later on. Um, but our um, ignoring it, our oversight of it, I think was a mistake from us as converts, as African-Caribbean um, Muslims, um, and the, the little emphasis that was played, some would argue, was due to the racial climate and the racial um, mosaic of the Muslims in Britain at the time. Um, issues of racism were prevalent, which surprised us. But our idealism was what we were holding on to. And I want to quote from um, the Black Sunday event on the 2nd of May, when one of my close um, colleagues and um, associates, Abu Sophia Talib, stated during that Black Sunday event. And this underscores the idealism and the second stage of youthful development that we were at. He stated, we have... We have to come out of this concept where we see ourselves coming from a black community, a white community, from an Arab community, and understand that the only community in the eyes of Allah is the Muslim community. Brixton itself is a microcosm of the whole Muslim ummah, not just a little parcel here in southeast London. Close quote. Such a statement is real in its idealism and what Islam espouses, as we see in Surah Hujurat. However, the reality was altogether different amongst the Muslim communities and continues to be altogether different with the racial um, divide that exists within Muslim communities across the UK today. And I'll conclude on that particular point, um, again, underscoring that identity as Salafi Muslims was significant. However, that identity is not one that should remove 
conducive elements of our cultural mosaic because we saw that that didn't happen amongst the South Asian communities, the Somali communities and the Arab communities. And so the question remains is why was there that removal and that um, encouragement to distance ourselves from our, our local British urban black communities or cultural backdrops?